my, my, I have a daughter who lives in the south end of Lake Okanagan, just a place called Summerland, just, just above Penticton. And if you're ever down at that end of Lake Okanagan, you'll know it's kind of ringed by vineyards and orchards. There's a lot of fruit and a lot of grapes. There's beautiful wineries there. And that is a lot like the Sea of Galilee. It's just this beautiful place now full of life, and it's very lush and um, in a very desertish kind of place. It's a sea of, uh, and a lot of green there. Um, it is, the Sea of Galilee is built in kind of a bowl. It's kind of a depression there. And I remember when we were coming down, we were coming up from the hill country and the east side of the lake, and I was a little shocked at how much that bus had to descend for us to get down to the level of the lake. It's way down there. And because of that geography, um, the, the sea is prone to sudden storms, and those can be lethal at times. So that's actually part of what we'll be dealing with today, too. So anyways, uh, that is a bit of background. Let me now read the piece from Matthew chapter 14. And we begin at verse 22. Um, this is immediately, this is just after Jesus had fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, said, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind bowed down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So our reading, Matthew chapter 14. You know, something in this story makes me want to, uh, to add an extra line at the end with a moral, you know, as in, this is the moral of the story, sort of the way Aesop did with his fables. You know, many years ago in ancient Greece, um, Aesop would tell these fun little stories and then the last line would be, the moral of the story is, like um, the hare and the tortoise, or the rabbit and the turtle. You know, the, the rabbit teased the turtle because he was so slow. And the, the turtle challenged him to a race. And so, of course, the, turtle couldn't, the, the rabbit couldn't pass that up. So he ran off in a flash. He built a huge lead. And then he lay down to rest. He fell asleep, fast asleep. And while he was sleeping, the turtle, at that slow, steady pace, he passed him, 
and pressed on and eventually crossed the finish line before the rabbit. And the moral of the story is, slow and steady wins the race. Or the boy who cried wolf. I mean, they had him up in the meadows watching the sheep. And he was bored, and so he thought he'd have some fun. And he ran down and shouted, wolf, wolf. And all the villagers rushed out to the meadow to fight the wolf. But there was no wolf. It was a joke. And the shepherd boy had his fun. He did it again, and he did it again. And then one day there was a real wolf, and he ran down and shouted, Wolf, wolf! But nobody paid attention. And the sheep, the sheep were lost. And the moral of the story is, if you are a liar, people won't believe you when you tell the truth. So, What kind of moral can we give to this story of Peter walking on the water and then sinking into the waves? It it does look like the right kind of story for a moral, doesn't it? Now, before we go there, though, I should tell you that there is a warning bell going off in the back of my mind. It's a very old warning bell now. It's been put there more than 40 years ago when I was a seminary student. And they were teaching us how to preach. Or even more, they were teaching us how to, um, how to properly read the Bible. And at that time, the professors warned us that we should not reduce the stories of the Bible into morality lessons only. I was tempting to do that, for sure. I mean, after all, the Bible has a long list of interesting characters that we can use for moral lessons. I mean, Moses, he led his people out of slavery into the promised land, and he taught us lessons in in leadership. King David, well, when he was young, he fought the giant Goliath and taught us a lesson in bravery. Elijah the prophet refused to bow down to a false god. He taught us a lesson in standing up for your beliefs, and and so on. And that sounds right, for sure. And yes, leadership and bravery and standing up for your belief are are good things to do. But they they warn us in in the seminary, there is more going on in these stories than just morality lessons. There is a big unfolding story going on, the story of God and his people and the nations of the world. And these heroes of the faith each have a role in that big unfolding story. So yes, Moses led his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And that's where they would become a light to the nations. That's the bigger picture. King David, he he was the giant killer. He made his people into a strong and a unified nation. And, And that victory over the giant Goliath, it showed that This was his role in in that big story. Elijah prophesied at a later time when God's people were chasing after other gods and the whole nation was at risk. And he kept the candle of true faith burning during the darkest times. 
So each of these heroes of the faith had their role in this big story of God and his people and the nations of the world. And each was, in a sense, working their way forward to the main event. And that was Jesus himself. Because in the life and the teachings and the suffering and death and the resurrection of Jesus, that story changes everything. And, and then, after Jesus was victorious and risen from the dead, then he sent his followers into the world to tell people that God in Christ is making all things new. And one of these messengers that Jesus sent was, was Peter. So his story is more than just a, a morality lesson. He has a role in the biggest story ever told. And yet, honestly, with Peter, when you read through the Gospels, you, you kind of can tell there's something going on with him. His name keeps popping up. And he keeps sounding loud and proud and out there and overly confident. And you can't help feeling this guy does need to be taught a lesson. There was a time when Peter came to Jesus and asked, How many times do I have to forgive the brother or sister who sins against me? I mean, Peter wanted a limit, a maximum on forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is a good thing, he would say. You know, and it's very good for you to forgive, but you can carry this thing too far. So for me, seven times, and then it's done. After that, you cross me, and you watch it. Sometime later, Jesus told his disciples about this journey that he was going to take. He was going to, to Jerusalem, and he would be rejected, and he would be he would be made to suffer many things, and he would be killed. And then it was Peter who said, No, never, Lord, this will never happen to you, as if it was Peter's decision to make. When Jesus announced that his disciples would forsake him in those darkest hours, then Peter said, Even if all fall away from you, Jesus, I never will. Even if I have to die for you, I will never forsake you. Oh, that didn't really work out, did it? You know, I mentioned that pastor's trip. I can remember one time we were in Jerusalem then, it was a, sort of toward the end of the trip, and um, we were having lunch in this kind of park in the city there, and down below in a kind of valley we saw a church, a beautiful old church, and on the spire of that church there was something like a, a spire or a weather vane, and it was a rooster. And it turns out the name of that church is the Church of the Rooster's Crow. And I think it would be built in memory of Peter, who denied Jesus three times and then heard the rooster crow. So it's, when you read through the Gospels, it's like, we're supposed to pay attention to him. And like we're supposed to form an opinion about his character. 
So maybe I should just turn that alarm bell off in the back of my mind and, and moralize about him for a bit. I mean, it might be that he needed a lesson that I need to learn myself. Let's go to our reading. Peter and the others are in a boat, and in the distance they see Jesus walking on the water. They think it's a ghost, and they're terrified until Jesus says, Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, well, Peter does the Peter thing again, and he comes up with another big idea. Lord, you know, tell me to come to you on the water. Just what we would expect from Peter, right? As for Jesus, well, with Jesus, it's a bit of a surprise because he plays along with Peter's odd thing. He says, sure, come. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus give Peter this, this, this circus trick? I mean, is there a point? Is this a test? That's not really allowed, is it? I mean, Jesus said so himself, right? That we're not allowed to put God through these silly, you know, I dare you to do this kinds of tests. I mean, he said that to the devil during his time of the three great temptations. The devil took him to the temple and put him on the highest pinnacle and said, jump down and let the angels catch you. And Jesus said, no. He even quoted scripture. He said, from the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, God doesn't do stunts. He doesn't want to catch tightrope walkers who slip or heal sword swallowers who cut themselves. You know, he, he can, sure. He is able to do more than we think or imagine. But his power won't be used for that kind of, that kind of showing off. He'll use his power to, I don't know, feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, to make the blind to see and the lame to walk, to do works of love and mercy. That's what he uses his power for. But walking on water, that hardly fits. So what, why is Jesus going along with Peter's cool new idea? I, I, I have to think that that for Jesus, this, this is what we would nowadays call a, um, a teachable moment. It's the right time for Peter to learn a lesson, especially him. You know, I, I kind of wonder what Jesus would say if another disciple had asked, say a more humble disciple who wasn't so loud and proud and full of swagger. I, I can imagine Jesus saying no. But for Peter, this one needs a lesson. And this is the right time to teach it. Peter has to learn that yes, he can walk on the water. And that no, he can't walk on the water. So Peter steps out of the boat. He looks toward Jesus. He takes a step and another and another. He's, it works. He's walking on the water. But then something happens. He catches a big gust of wind or 
He's slapped by a wave of cold water. He looks around. He becomes afraid. And he begins to sink under the water. It's not working anymore. So, Peter can walk on the water when he keeps his eyes on Jesus. When he keeps his eyes on the one who commands the wind and the waves, the one who touched the leper and brought healing, who fed the crowds with a few loaves of bread and fish, who showed the power of love and the power of God. With his eyes on Jesus, Peter can walk on the waves, but not if he pays attention only to the wind and the waves. Then the wind and the waves will defeat him. And Peter learns that. He learns it the hard way, the humbling way, the wet and cold way. And sometime later, Peter would do, have to do something even harder than walking on the water. He'd have to stand by Jesus when Jesus was arrested and put on trial for his life. And Peter would see that happening. He was outside the courthouse during the trial, and, and then someone recognized him and said, that man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And what then? No, Peter would lie. He said, I, I don't even know the man. Let's, uh, let's call that sinking into the waves. And what happened then? What happened there was Peter lost sight of Jesus. It, it looks like he lost sight of what Jesus had told him. That he would suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. It was in the plan of God. It looks like Peter forgot the hard road that Jesus was going to take and forgot that his own followers would also have to take up the cross. He got scared, didn't he? And being scared is not a good way to follow Jesus. There is an old hymn. It's a, it's a kind of classic, and you may know it. It, it goes like this. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full of his wonderful face, and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Okay, I have the picture for you now. This is a picture by Rembrandt. It's a little dim in the bright light here, but you can see that this is Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Actually, kind of appropriate. This is a storm, and it's dark, and so you're only seeing the part that are hit by a little bit of faint light there. Um, this is not the story we read earlier from Matthew chapter 14. This is the story in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus um, and the storm. But the two stories are obviously related. In, in both of them, there is a boat, and in both of them, the boat is on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus is in both stories, and so are the disciples. This time, though, it's not calm enough for walking on the water. A storm is raging, 
And the disciples, they are terrified. The disciples are so terrified, they are convinced they are going to die. And already in their mind, there's horrible thoughts dancing through their minds that they will die. And in the coming days, their bodies will be washed ashore and they'll be recovered by their families. And their families will no longer have a breadwinner. And what will happen to them? So this is all quite awful. Now, I count 13 people in that story, if you uh, could see it uh, well, but there are 13 people, there are 12 disciples, and every one of those disciples has, is, is in some stage of panic. Some of them are fighting with the rigging of the boat, trying to bring it under control. Uh, others are just, they're just staring at the wind and the waves. They're paralyzed. They're useless for sailing purposes. A couple of them are looking at Jesus. And their faces are filled with fear. And Jesus, he's in the center, lower center of the picture. And his face is calm. Almost stony. It's painted with just a few strokes of the brush, but you see something very stern in the face of Jesus. And it's like he's asking his disciples, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Which, if you read this story, is exactly what Jesus was saying. Of course, that's what he would be saying. And the lesson here for everyone is this. In the storm of life, make Jesus your calm center. Now, living scared has probably been a temptation in every age, but I sometimes wonder if it's a bigger temptation than ever nowadays. And I'm not saying that because the world is more dangerous, but maybe because we are more cautious and we expect more. We live today in what many people call a risk-averse culture. We don't like risk, and we want to reduce it all the way down to zero. We are scared. Scared of trouble, scared of getting hurt, scared of danger, scared of being sued. And so we do everything possible to make everything super safe and risk-free. So we pack our babies in approved car seats and we have them sleeping in cribs that are stamped with a safety mark. We wear seat belts and bicycle helmets and we have fire alarms all through the house and we change the batteries regularly. And those are good things to do. In some cases, they are the law. I live in an apartment. The fire alarms need to be inspected every year by code. Don't have a choice. But in a weird sort of way, making everything safe comes with its own kind of risk. We, we can become too timid and too afraid. If I'm afraid of being sued by someone who just might slip on my porch, well, then maybe I won't invite people over to my home. 
if I'm liable for injuries suffered in a, by a passenger in a car, well, then maybe I won't give rides to people. If I might serve the wrong food to someone with allergies, well, then maybe I'll forget the potluck supper and the neighborhood party. If I can get hurt serving the church, well, then maybe I just won't. We can live scared, can't we? Everywhere there are dangers. The wind is so strong and the waves are so high and there is no one to protect us. Or, and, and so we become very careful. Or as John Ortberg once said, we stay in the boat. Why even try to stand on the water? Bad things happen when you take risks, right? Well, no, says Jesus. Look at me. See what I have done. See how I have lived. See how I have sacrificed my life for you. See how I have been raised from the dead. See, I am coming again soon, and then I will make all things new. So keep your eyes on me, and then stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, is there a moral to our story? Well, let me be brave and ignore that warning bell I told you about. And let me say this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full of his wonderful face. And the storms will not scare you so much. And the waves will not sink you. Because your eyes are always on him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we see Peter standing on the waves. And then we see Peter sinking in the waves. And somewhere in that story we find ourselves. Oh Lord, teach us to keep our eyes on you, to build our faith on you, to build our hope on you, and to be grounded in your love, a love that is beyond knowledge and that passes all understanding. Make us strong in knowing you and seeing you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.